Welcome to Christ the Center, Doctrine for Life, your weekly conversation of Reformed Theology. This is episode number 302. My name is Camden Busey. I'm the pastor of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Grays Lake, Illinois. Delighted to be back on the program and to have with me one of our regulars, Jared Oliphant, who is regional coordinator for Westminster Theological Seminary, but he works out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome back, Jared. It's great to speak with you this morning. Thanks, Camden. Good to be on. Yes, and we are excited to have with us uh, once again uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung. He is the senior pastor at University Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan, uh, just near Michigan State University. So we're welcoming a nearby Sparty to the program once again. Welcome back, Kevin. It's great to speak with you again. Uh, it's great to be here, Sparty on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will uh, reserve my feelings. I'll keep them to myself at the moment. But uh, <laughs> okay. anyway, we can we can uh, both agree on on many Chicago sports, just not college football. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> today we're going to be speaking about an excellent book. Uh, Jared and I have a copy of uh, Kevin's new book, Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. And we're going to dive right into it today. We don't have a whole lot of time, and that's apropos. Uh, we're trying to be quick, short, and to the point. And that's exactly what this book is. But it's a fantastic book about managing your time. But it's an interesting one that uh, bridges the gap. Um, it doesn't fall into the either pole of being a uh, dense theology book about time and Sabbath and rest and all that, or the flip side of being a practical how-to of how to manage your email correspondence and manage your calendar. It's a nice book that sits in between those those two poles. Uh, we're going to talk to Kevin about that today. I'll jump right in, Kevin, and, and uh, ask you just about the nature of writing this book. You start off right in the beginning uh, mentioning the fact that you don't feel that you do this well. Uh, so the question I have for you is, if you don't know what you're doing or feel that you do it well right up front, why write the book? Yeah, what was was it Augustine who said, or am I just imagining that he said he uh, he writes in order to understand? Yeah. And so that is definitely, this is one of those books for me. Uh, I think sometimes authors write books because they, they've been somewhere that they want other people to go, or they've they have something they need to correct, or some teaching they need to pass on. All of that's appropriate. This particular book is written out of my own struggles, my own wrestling. In fact, all of it's coming back to me in fresh ways as I do interviews like this. I was just thinking last night. I had this interview, <laughs> and uh, boy, am I. Re- Am I really doing these things in this book? Because, I mean, my my life, nothing special about it, but it's just like a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. very busy. And so I, I say at the very beginning of this book that I'm the best and the worst person to write this. The, the worst because uh, I haven't achieved some kind of tranquil equilibrium where all of my days are just spent in blissful contemplation or something. And, uh, and and the best person because I I think I'm right at where a lot of us are at, and that's waking up in the morning and thinking, okay, how do I how do I get through this day? How do I uh, not fall too much farther behind on my to do list? And how do I try to serve God and pay attention to my soul in the process? And it's been a struggle. It was a struggle for me for a long time, and uh, hopefully. Writing about some of that will be helpful to other people, just as I think I was helped to think about these things in the process. 
Well, it was it was fun to hear too, just about the history in your own biography of, um, you know, not exactly when these things started, but just kind of the the busyness current that has run through a lot of um, a lot of your life. Even in high school, you mentioned some things, and um, I mentioned that because. It, it was fun to read the book because a lot of your personality and personal experiences come through and they um, they don't serve to just highlight on their own those things, but really serve the purpose of um, examples and uh, ways that like we can relate to you and some of the, you know, parenting things and school and, and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. And um, I guess, you know, the the topic can kind of fall in the Christian liberty section. Was there were was there a, a not a fear but a concern from the beginning of maybe not being too um strict on some of these you know advice principles and, and things going into it yeah that's a great question because you're right in one way um you know people would some people would love the book if i was very dogmatic about you know shame on you if you are on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Well, right. uh, I made that mistake a while ago, so I already am on Twitter. Uh, or, you know, calling people to uh, just all be Wendell Berry and live on a farm in <laughs> yeah. Kentucky, which, you know, more, more power to you if that's what you can do. But, yeah, it's not that kind of book, and that's not the, the life that most of us are living. And, and we shouldn't pretend that the Bible is, first of all, meaning to give us a book about how to manage our time or handle our lives. So I, I don't want to uh, claim more authority for any piece of advice than I can rightfully do. And at the same time, I think that the Bible does intersect with busyness, not because there's a a chapter in Ephesians on busyness, but because the Bible intersects with all of life and intersects with uh, what's going on in our heart and our souls and uh, the dangers of neglecting God, not paying attention to the ordinary means of grace. All this stuff is is really front and center in the scriptures. So I, I hope, as you said earlier, that this book kind of hits that, uh, that center of the road mm. where it's theologically informed so as to be you know, have some depth and usefulness, but but not just uh, kind of ruminations on Sabbath principle, but really, yeah. what, what does this look like when i got to raise kids, and i got deadlines, and I have a bazillion eye devices? <laughs> How do I actually live in this world? Yeah, I think it is very much so, and I, I very much enjoyed reading it and thought it was highly useful, and I'm uh, glad we're able to talk about these things for our listeners, because many people struggle with this. Uh, everyone's busy to some extent. And, but what you note right off in the first chapter, which is titled, Hello, My Name is Busy, uh, you note that people sometimes wear busyness as a badge of honor. Um, why do you feel that that needs to change? Yeah, and I really wanted to avoid that in this book. I mean, I, mm. I, I felt that as one of the dangers. Hey, look, at Kevin's writing a book on busyness. Must be nice to be so busy. And you know, he's got <laughs> so many things going on. Well, I think we wear it as a badge of honor for a couple of reasons. One is sometimes, somewhat innocently, it's just become a socially acceptable way to say no to people. Uh, I'm not sure if it should be or it shouldn't be, but you know, I mean, Jesus just seemed to, I mean, he, he had a mission and he was on that mission and he couldn't be diverted from that mission. And he had the courage to 
you know, just tell people what that mission was. We tend to, you know, use busyness, I think, to sort of smooth out some of the relational edges. Uh, because if somebody said, hey, can you, can you stop by and help me move my couch this afternoon? And you said honestly or with complete bluntness, you know what? I have a lot of priorities in life to serve God and glorify him. And moving your couch really can't rise to the top of that priority <laughs> list. So no thanks. <laughs> uh, okay. So instead of saying that, right or wrong, we tend to say, oh, man, I'm just I'm, I'm busy. And it's become a socially acceptable way. Okay, I understand. I understand. But I think more significantly than that is really the heart issue. Uh, we can feel like if we're busy, we have purpose. If we have busy, we have worth. If we uh, we compare ourselves, who's got more going on? Who's are you traveling a lot? Oh, I'm traveling a lot. You got deadlines. I got deadlines. And it's it's a way too to uh, elicit a lot of immediate sympathy from people. Oh man, I can't believe you have so much going on. Oh boy, brother, you're so busy. Let us let us pray for you. And it's certainly good to encourage each other. But, you know, there are so many manifestations of pride that not only uh, are at the root of so much of our busyness, but exasperate it and then uh, make us proud of the very thing we should be trying to avoid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think that's why, I mean, the fact that these are uh, heart issues and they spring from, you know, a deeper place than just the outward manifestation. Do you think that's why um, books and, and solutions that focus on productivity tips and those sorts of things don't actually work long term? I mean, I think that's right. There, I mean, there's, I'm thankful for any sort of common sense that's out there. And people have a good idea for how to store your email or how to, you know, get more out of your commute, then, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I think. They only touch the surface. They don't get to the heart of what's going on. Uh, I talk about in the book how you know, every year for over a decade now, I get together with some of my friends from seminary, and we spend a, few, a long weekend together, and we all share kind of what's going on. And it's become very predictable. Each guy tends to have the same kind of issues year after year. And people will tell you that each year Kevin's issues are he's going to be really busy. He's going to tell us he doesn't know how he can get all this done, and he doesn't know how uh, he's going to make it through the next six months. And I realized if, if that happens in a season when just life is crashing down on you, all right, that happens. But when it becomes predictable that that's the way I'm living my life, and that's the way a lot of us live our lives, then you have to say, this, this is more than just circumstances beyond my control. There's, there's something here about the way I'm evaluating my life or understanding my life or the way I'm making decisions, the way I'm uh, people-pleasing or whatever it is that's really the, the issues inside more than it is just outside. And I think if nothing else, if people can get that from the book, I hope that will be helpful because so often we think of busyness as just there's an external problem. It's out there. It's the schedule that I have to conquer outside of me. But it really starts with what's going on in my heart that I feel this way, that I keep doing this, that I keep falling into these same unhelpful patterns. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what are some dangers that we need to avoid? I mean, it, what really is the threat to being busy? Obviously, people aren't usually happy with all the things that take over their lives sometimes, but you know, more theologically, uh, what are some of the dangers that we need to avoid with getting too busy? I think there are some uh, just practical answers to that question and theological mm-hmm. answers, and hopefully the practical are theological and vice oh, versa. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you alluded to just on the, the most practical level, we tend to be uh, less happy, mm-hmm. and when we are uh, cranky and tired and stressed, we tend to be less enjoyable to be around. Mm-hmm. So th- there is really a theological oh, sure. angle there for how we love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, I, I cite a study of, of parents in the book that I found very interesting uh, asking students what's one thing they would change about their parents or how would they, they sort of grade their parents. And kind of surprisingly, parents scored very high on, you know, loves me, is is there for my events, and, you know, being a presence, you know, parents were doing very well. But across the board, the lowest marks was were on anger, mm-hmm. frustration, and that really makes a difference. I often think that as a parent, uh, you know, all the things I'm trying to do right, but if I'm doing a lot of the right things in a very uh, wrong way, it makes my my kids miserable, makes my wife more miserable. So you got that angle. And then I think even more explicitly biblical, you think of Jesus' parable of the sower and the soils. I was actually just reading that this morning from Matthew 13. And of course, you know, some lands on the path and gets uh, carried away, and then some lands uh, in shallow soil, and some lands among the thorns. And this is really the the soil that proves best at first. And the Word of God kind of takes root a little bit and starts growing. And you remember what what chokes out the Word of God there: it's the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Uh, so in in our context, I think busyness kills more Christians than bullets. Mm. It's it's just, it's life. I mean, that, that happens all the time in all of our churches. The Word of God goes out, people hear it, they receive it, they're, you know, excited for an afternoon, and then football comes, and then homework comes, and then Monday comes, and it's just choked out there. And then, I mean, the last danger that, that comes to mind is just what, what sort of rot in our souls is being covered up oh, yeah. with our busyness that we, we never stop to have to remember that we have a soul, that we're made in the image of God, that life is more than uh, finishing our to-do list and accumulating achievements or possessions. You know, we actually have to stop and think, okay, what am I living for? What am I about? What am I, what is this all going to mean when, you know, I'm, I'm gone tomorrow or in 50 years? And we never stop to ask ourselves those questions when we're just going from one busy, crazy day to the next. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I, I also appreciate in the book, uh, you make a, a good contrast. It, it uh, prevents kind of a pendulum swing the other way. You mentioned uh, Jesus and how he's not exactly this Zen master, this calm, you know, person um, in every situation that um, that sometimes popular culture makes him out to be, and and I, I think it's helpful the way that you bring up Jesus' own busyness, and you mentioned Mark, and he's always talking about immediately this happened, and mm-hmm. so there are a lot of a lot of examples that we can actually take from his life. Can you unpack a few things that you noticed while you were writing about that? 
think it is really important, as you said, that we recognize Jesus was not just walking around with a robe and a sash and kind of waiting for monkeys to bring him bananas and <laughs> just kind of, uh, you know, dialed in to elevator music. I mean, if if Jesus were around today, he would have people clamoring for interviews. He, you know, If he had a cell phone, it'd be going nuts. He'd have a billion Twitter followers. I mean, just read it in in the Gospels, he was, I mean, I mean, there was often a circus around him. Mm-hmm. It's not because that's what he wanted, but, I mean, he's healing, and he's walking on water, and he's casting out demons, and he's teaching like nobody's ever taught before. So there's just constant activity. He's got enemies, he's got friends, he's got fans, he's got disciples. And so Jesus' life was, I mean, more like our lives than we realize. And, and yet, at the same time, we see this absolute crystal clear purpose to his life, which I just marvel at. You mentioned Mark's gospel. You see in Mark 1, where Jesus burst onto the scene with his ministry in Capernaum on that quintessential day of healing and teaching and casting out demons. And then he's, once the sun goes down, he's healing people, and they're bringing out people from, from Capernaum, the sick and the possessed. And then the next morning, they the disciples want to find him because, man, he's a, he's a smashing success. He's a hit. And it says that he was in desolate places praying. And then what's really amazing, uh, it says, uh, we need to go on to the next town because that's why I came out. That's why I'm in public ministry is to preach. He knew that although he could stay in this town for, for weeks and just heal people, and he would have been very useful. He would have been incredibly effective in ministry. He just had to touch people or say the word, they would be healed. And yet he knew that that's not the purpose for which I'm here. All of that would be good, but it's not what my purpose is. It's not my priority. And so I need to go to the next town and preach. And oh, to have, you know, oh, to be like Jesus in so many ways, but just looking at that particular clarity of mission and aim and purpose which I think so many of us lack and makes us less happy and less effective in the ministry God wants for us. Yeah. One thing you mentioned is that care is not the same as do, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very helpful way to, to put it, because sometimes we feel like if we don't sign up for something or, or do what somebody asks us to do, then that must mean that we don't care. Um, but there's only so much time in the day, and even the example of our Lord was that he didn't do it all. doesn't mean that he didn't care about his people's needs while he was you know, ministering on this earth in the flesh, but yet he uh, established priorities. Let's talk about that for a second. You, you introduced this um, other notion. Uh, can you talk about uh, posteriorities and where that yeah. came from and what, yeah, what that's, that's all about? I think I— This was Peter heard, Drucker, heard, wasn't it? Yeah, I heard uh, that know. term from Peter Drucker— uh, business guru, and mm-hmm. uh, but it's a it's a helpful term because everyone talks about priorities, and we know I need to have priorities in my life and what I'm going to do. But you don't really have priorities until you also have posteriorities. That is, you can't really say these are the things at the top of my list unless you also say here are the things that I won't allow to get on my list. Uh, I, I'm going to say no to. So otherwise, if you just say, well, my priority is to love God and my family and serve the church and meet the needs of others. And that's just everything. And so there has to be some specific things. I'm not going to do this in order that I can do that. So Jesus, I'm not going to stay in Capernaum another day to heal people, though that would be very good, because my priority 
is to go to the next town also. And if we don't, I mean, that, that can sound harsh. That can sound like, well, but I need to care for everything and everybody. But really, if we don't embrace priorities and posteriorities, we're not embracing our own finitude. I mean, God in heaven can be everywhere by his spirit and do everything. He has uh, omnipotent power and omniscient wisdom, but we don't. And if we're to really embrace our humanity and our finitude, we need to say, I'm not going to be able to do every good thing. I'm not going to be able to meet every need that I see out there, especially in this age where we just know of limitless needs, physical needs, you know, church needs, theological needs. We we know of needs all around the world and, and through social media. I mean, there's no end to it. And that sort of terror of total obligation to everything, I think, gives a lot of Christians a a low-level sense of guilt throughout their whole life for all the things they're not doing. And that's not what what God means for us. Uh, And I think he really wants us to have priorities, and with that, these posteriorities, so that we're doing what we ought to be doing, and we're going to leave a lot of things undone. Yeah. And doesn't that highlight for us another point that you make in the book that uh, busyness is a community project and that um, we all have responsibility to each other um, in some degree for other people's busyness as well. And so the implications for making requests of people and asking people to do things um, is definitely involved in this. And um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, just in terms of, you know, even a church and a family and just the social responsibilities, um, how we might have a responsibility to others to look after their, their busyness, again, mm-hmm. in, in some respect? I, I, I've thought a lot about this because it really hits me as a pastor, not only the demands on a pastor's schedule, but the way in which pastors often, rightly so, are, are putting demands on other people's schedule. And I've I've tried to be very sensitive, I don't know how well I've done, but to be very sensitive that while everyone in my church needs to make God their first priority, that doesn't mean everyone needs to make what I'm asking them to do their first priority, serving on this committee, uh, or they don't really love God, or they need to sign up for this potluck or come to this extra conference or meeting or they haven't really proved their worth as a Christian. Pastors can, boy, we can fall into that trap because we want our things to go well. We want we we sincerely want people to walk down this path of discipleship. But we need to understand and help our people understand that the only one who can make those absolute demands is is God. And unless we're God, our priorities are not automatically going to be everyone else's priorities. And so uh, I get so frustrated when when people sometimes want me to do something or be involved in something, and I say no and try to graciously explain, and then they come back hard with, you don't even have time for one one. Are you? Yeah. You can't do thing, <laughs> brother, sister. And, and so I, I'm disappointed when I do that same thing to other people. We need to allow it, it it's just part of life, and other people are going to have priorities, and, and I'm not always going to be the most important thing in somebody's life, and that's okay. And as soon the, the sooner we can acknowledge that, the more helpful we'll be to each other to live lives that are 
somewhat doable and manageable. Mm. Another thing you you mentioned, you know, along those lines, is this uh, notion of efficiency. I know from in my own life and my own schedule, I'm always trying to make sure I'm efficient, using my time well, and getting as much done as I possibly can. But especially in pastoral ministry, there there aren't always uh, clearly discernible tasks or goals or ways to say that this time was used to produce X, Y, and Z. And you mentioned that effective being effective does not always mean being efficient. Why is it important to have that type of mindset as we encounter life, especially in families and in ministry? Mm-hmm. Well, we're not we're not ministering to machines, mm. and you know, you have an automated machine. The goal is efficiency. Let's let's find out how to make this machine go faster, run more smoothly. We're dealing with people. It doesn't work like that, and relationships take a lot of time. Sometimes they they take years and years of laying the groundwork, just preparing for that one conversation or that one time you're going to have to call on somebody at the middle of the night or they're going to have to come and come for you in the middle of the day. Uh, And unless we're, we're taking time to have those really inefficient relationships, we're not going to be loving each other, bearing burdens as we're supposed to. And so, you know, I hope people who read this book don't think, you know, the aim is just to completely clear our schedules, just do what we want to do, uh, make life really simple and easy for us. No, that's not the goal. Uh, Part of being a Christian is to be burdened with other people's concerns, to be very active in in the world, uh, to be very active in our churches, because we do care about lots of things, and and we love people. But hopefully if we can have the right categories to understand what we're doing and what's going on in our heart, even those those days or weeks or seasons where life feels overwhelming, we, we can understand why we're doing this, what we're doing, what it's about, and and understand that you know, sometimes you are gonna get interrupted. And you know, sometimes as a pastor, boy, I had these plans this week but there's a saintly member dying in the hospital and those plans have to get scrapped. And if that means I get half as much time on my sermon this week, the Lord understands and the Lord gives grace for that. Now, if every single week I'm frittering away my time on you know, Facebook and then <laughs> neglecting yeah. my sermon prep, the Lord isn't quite so understanding with that. But he understands that people take time, and that's part of what it means to be a Christian and certainly to be a pastor. Yeah. Right. And there's a, an important place for uh, leisure and rest. And you, you talk about, you know, the, the other side of busyness, which is um, to you know, manage some time so that you can actually and it takes work so that you can actually, um, you know, just decompress and and cut back from those other things that we've already mentioned. Uh, how, how do you see uh, leisure playing a role in the context of what we've already talked about before? And I guess another question is, do you still miss playing Mario Kart for N64? <laughs> I remember well, the Super Nintendo version. Yes. <laughs> I do too. You know, that was, I was, I was very surprised at seminary. I played, I played, I played more Mario Kart than I thought. I would play in seminary. I guess, you know, most people don't go to seminary thinking that they're going to dominate in Mario Kart. But <laughs> when you're Wario and you have the power slide. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I was I was tough to beat, but I don't I don't have to get into that. <laughs> Leisure is important, and I don't think we know how to do it. So uh, you know, we we live this rhythmless life, and I I sense in myself all the time. You know, you you go home, and because you we got computers and tablets and all the rest, we're we're at home. We're kind of well. Let, let me quick catch up on email, and I'm going to watch this football game, but I'm really going to you know work on this paper while I'm doing it or read this book and get some stuff done. And then when we get to work, it's, uh, well, I'll take a little brain break here and go watch some crazy thing on YouTube. And we, we don't have rhythm to our lives of when we're feasting and when we're fasting, when we're working and when we're rest. And yeah, I know sometimes those things don't have rigid categories, but I think we've, we've lost something that we are, uh, incapable of just saying, you know, now is unadulterated. Uh, this is leisure. There, God made us uh, to need that, to do that, to enjoy Him in it. Whether it's uh, playing Mario Kart, watching a football game, going on a run, playing guitar, whatever people you know do to the glory of God, mm-hmm. do it and enjoy it, uh, and don't feel guilty about it. But we so often, you know, our vacations are really just vacate. I mean, we just kind of, oh, we just collapse, we empty. And so we we need to think about how we have avocations or how we have time where uh, things are are building us, God is building us back up through these other pursuits and other activities so that we can be refreshed for the work that we need to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, Kevin. I know uh, we've got to get going, um, but there's a lot in this book that we have not touched upon. Um, but that being said, it's also a quick and fast read, about 118 pages here on my end. Uh, so thanks for joining us today, Kevin. And more importantly, thanks for writing this book. Hey, very glad to be with you guys. Appreciate the work you're doing. Look forward to uh being with you in person sometime yeah, soon. Sure. We know there's some things going on in Michigan, uh, some conferences at the end of the yeah. year. Jared's looking forward to, I think, the uh, SOLA conference is yeah, a big great. one. Yeah. Um, we also uh, want to point people back to the website, uh, but first, uh, you can find Kevin online. You can you can find his blog at thegospelcoalition.org slash blog slash Kevin DeYoung. You can also do a search. You can find the Church University Reformed Church at the RCA congregation there in East Lansing, Michigan. It's available at universityreformedchurch.org. Jared's available, a lot of his work uh, through wts.edu. And, of course, you can check us out online at reformedforum.org. Best way to get a hold of us is through the contact page on that website or on Twitter, at Reformed Forum. We want to thank everybody for listening, and we hope you join us again next time on Christ the Center.